Right, well, it is my pleasure. I wasn't here last week, but I heard Matt was excellent opening up 1 Corinthians. Uh, and this is a letter in the New Testament uh, written by the Apostle Paul to this church. And I know Matt was looking at the similarities of uh, this city, this port town, and the similarities to Liverpool. Um, it was big on sports. Um, and this church, when we look at it, was astonishing. Um, if I'm honest, when we came to looking at what we were going to study, this letter has so many things to look at, so many foundations to lay. It's a little bit daunting as a preacher because we're going to be hitting some very difficult topics, which Paul doesn't shy away from, uh, which are really important to look at. And um, it's a very exciting thing to be doing. But I may have mentioned um, in the church at that point, there was loads of tricky things going on. There was people suing each other in the same church, which I, I don't think we have at Freedom Church, as far as I'm aware. Um, there was people sleeping with prostitutes. There was incest going on in the church. There was people getting drunk on communion wine before others were able to get back from work to partake. Um, and I tell you what, it really fills me with faith. <laughs> when I read about these churches and you think, wow, they had some major issues. And yet, we see Paul who established and planted this church and he loved it and he cared for it and he had faith for it. And so we're studying the first of two letters that we have in the Bible. Um, it's thought there were maybe four letters actually to the Corinthian church, but we're studying the first letter, um, just looking at Paul's care and love uh, as, he, as he unveils some of the reports that he's had back on the issues going on in this church. And it really does make us look at the church and say, do you know what? God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And when we look at situations and think there's no hope in that situation, actually, the church, even in this shape that we see the Corinthian church, Paul had real faith and hope that God could transform them and transform the issues going on. And we're going to be looking just at a few verses today, uh, verses 10 to 18. If you want to turn to that, it is on the screen, but it is a little bit small. Um, and I believe this is probably the foundational point of what is going on in the church. And almost all the issues that we're going to encounter beyond this can be resolved as Paul lays these foundations right here. And I believe he's starting with the key issue. Okay, so let's read it. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So, as I mentioned there, Paul planted this church. He established this church. And 
what we're starting to see here is his care and his love and his concern. Actually, as he writes this letter, we suddenly see he's concerned for the people of this church. Partly because he was so involved. He planted it and established it. And as I said, the major issue here, we can see, we even read it from the title, essentially is a church, it says in the NIV, a church divided over leaders. There was division, there was disunity going on in this church. And um, as I say, I think Paul decides, there's 16 chapters in this letter. And what would have happened is this letter would have been taken back I think probably, we, we have his name mentioned, Stephanus. He's mentioned again at the end of this book. Probably by Stephanus, and um, it would have been taken back to the church, maybe read aloud to the church. Now you can imagine what it's like sitting through some of my preachers. Sixteen chapters, though, of hearing Paul's concern for the church. I think Paul suddenly thought, I need to get this in now. I need to lay the foundation at the beginning when people are awake, and they can hear what the key concern is, this, this division, this disunity in the church. And um, we actually find out that this report that Paul is referring back to is from this family of Chloe. So he's very concerned to make sure he doesn't create another division or another quarrel or some more gossip in the church. And so he mentions Chloe by name, uh, which is quite unusual. So he mentions where this concern has come from, where this report's come from. And Chloe probably was, or some of her family, had gone back to Ephesus on business and reported back to Paul as to how the church was doing. And we see that this report is not a good report. Okay? This is sad news for Paul as he writes this letter, as he, as he urges them to change, as he urges them to live a different way. And um, just to give you an idea, we, we hear that there is quarreling going on in the church. And this is a classic case of language changing meaning. And, and this word quarrel for us, it's funny as we look at different terms over, you know, like when, I, when I've had an argument with Tor, I don't call it an argument, I call it a, a heated discussion, don't we? Um, and yet everybody's, everybody's terminology is totally different. You know, we like to change the terminology. And the term quarrel here, I don't know what that makes you think about. Oh, they've had a bit of a quarrel, okay? They've had a, they've had a few disputes. Um, I don't think it's strong enough for what Paul is talking about here. In fact, when you look at the actual Greek here, um, the word being used is eris, okay? And eris was known in Greek mythology, and she was the sister of the god of war, Aris. And um, her name actually means the goddess who excites to war. So Paul is essentially saying, listen, this isn't just quarreling. There was outright war going on in the Corinthian church here over issues. There was a battle raging in this church. And Paul, at the beginning here, he sets his, sets his line, he basically sets out three uh, appeals to them. Okay, He appeals three times, but all in different ways in these first few verses. So the first one, Josh, is this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. Okay, there's an appeal there for them ag uh, agreeing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, that there be no divisions among you. And thirdly, 
that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so we have these three appeals, all the same thing, essentially what he's saying. I want you to unite together. I want you to come together and, and, and not have these divisions. I'm appealing to you to do this. And um, this issue of unity was huge. Okay, and actually when I think about unity, what comes to my mind straight away is John 17. I don't know whether that comes to your minds, but I, th- I think about Jesus' prayer. And his prayer, this is his, his final prayer essentially before he goes to the cross, was for unity. And he prays for us, he prays for the church. He ends it in praying for unity. And so Paul is very aware of how unity is so important, it's foundational. If there isn't the unity, the thing is not going to bear fruit. Okay? So it's a key fundamental issue. And I can't stress enough that actually unity in the church, for us, as Freedom Church, it will define us. And so when I'm urging you to look at what Paul's saying here, I'm saying, guys, unless we as Freedom Church can get this issue right, we're not going to bear fruit. Unity is key. And so let's have a quick look at what were the problems in Corinth going on um, that were causing this uh, disunity. And I want to look at how that helps us as Freedom Church to get it right. So verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I will follow Paul. Another, I will follow Apollos. Another, I will follow Cephas. Still another, I will follow Christ. We know what this main issue is. We know it's disunity. We know it involves leadership. And it makes me think about, you can see here, the Labour Party and uh, what's been happening recently. Obviously, we know Jeremy Corbyn has come in, but within that party, there's a lot of disunity. There was a lot of debate over, can Jeremy Corbyn lead this? And there's factions starting to happen, even though they're supposed to be of one mind, of one vision, of one mission. And there's talks of different groups splintering off. There was people resigning because they didn't agree with Jeremy Corbyn and the way he was doing things. And you have here a political party who are disunited at the core, disunited over the leader or the leaders within that party. Um, And we're going to see how that, that comes out, aren't we? But the same was happening here in the church of Corinth. Okay, People were taking sides. People were following different leaders. And we have them mentioned here, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and even Christ. And so I want to just look at what does that look like within the church? How did they get to that point where there was such disunity going on over the leadership? So we've got these four names. We've got Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Jesus Christ. And um, I want you to imagine that you're in the Paul party, okay? Um, Obviously, I've already mentioned a few things about Paul. Let's try and understand who was in this group and why they would have had Paul as their leader. Paul obviously established and planted the church. Okay? So there would have been those who were loyal to Paul, the loyalists who would have been following him. There would have been those who had come to Christ because of the message that Paul spoke. Okay? And they would have felt very strongly toward him, very loyal towards him. And, um, you know, Paul, Paul was a good preacher. 
as well. He obviously knew his theology. And I guess this group, what they would have been like is they would have been constantly harking back to the good old days. You know, we're part of the core. We were part of this at the beginning. Wasn't it great in those days when we were meeting in the households? And you constantly harken back to these stories. And that would have been this, this Paul group, okay? The other people who would have been in Paul's camp, the city of Corinth, had been destroyed actually by the Romans originally uh, because the Corinthian city was not Roman and they were in dispute with the Roman colony. And so the Romans came in and destroyed it. And then it was established again by a Roman colony, okay? I think it was 46 BC. And so there would have been lots of Romans in this city. In fact, Romans would have been at the top of the pecking order in the city of Corinth, okay? And believe you me, there was a pecking order on um, the race that you were from. And Paul was a Roman, okay? There would have been Romans in the church, and those who were Romans wanted a Roman leader. They wanted somebody like themselves, And they would have had him on the pedestal saying, we're following Paul. He's the Roman here. He's the one actually out of the pecking order who is leading this. And um, that would have been because of the ethnic context there. Okay. Secondly, who else did we have? We had Apollos. Now Apollos was a Greek. Okay. And he was known to have this amazing mind. Actually, we read it in, in the New Testament that he had amazing understanding of Scripture. He was eloquent, okay? So for all those in the church who love that theological teaching, the exegetical teaching, they would have been like, we are Apollos. He is a great preacher. And we just love the depth that he gets to, the understanding that he has. It's difficult, isn't it, to try and understand that when we're looking at Paul. But actually, Apollos was knowing to be the one who had amazing understanding. In fact, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we don't exactly know who the author was, um, but the Greek, when when people have looked at the Greek in in Hebrews, it is the best formed Greek letter in the New Testament by a long way. And actually there's belief that it was Apollos who wrote this, um, this letter to the Hebrews simply because of the language, because of how it's written, because it was how it's put together. Okay, there's a very strong case for it being Apollos who wrote Hebrews. And um, obviously, so there would have been this group who just loved that teaching and loved getting that depth. But there also would have been Greeks uh, in this Corinthian church. And again, they would have wanted a Greek to be leading the church because they were Greek. Um, um, Then there was Cephas. And for some of you, you may not know who Cephas, who's Cephas? Where's he coming to the, to, the, to the school? Well, actually, Cephas is actually uh, the Jewish name for the Apostle Peter, okay? So he's, he's referring to Peter, and he's using this Jewish name. And um, I guess the people following him would have been the Jews in the church, okay? And those who liked all the rules and regulations, there was obviously this potential issue with law, okay, um, and legalism. And so maybe people who like that and wanted to keep those things in place, um, they might be following Paul, uh, Peter, saying, we, we want Peter to be leading this. And I guess one of the reality is, realities is, as people, and we know this, we're all like this in some ways, is that we are what I call homogenous beings. We like 
to hang around with those who are the same as us, okay? Those who we can relate to, those who have all the same interests, who are of the same age group, okay, same stage of life, because it's easier. We like to have people from our context. So why do they want a Jewish leader? Because they're Jewish. Why do they want a Roman? Because they're Roman. It's their context. They feel more comfortable in that. And um, obviously we have this, this war. But there's one group I haven't mentioned so far, far that Paul does mention. And I haven't dealt with this. This is the Christ followers. And I guess when you read it, you think, well, these got it, guys have got it right, haven't they? They must have, because we know that Christ is the head of the church, and these guys are doing something right. But actually, Paul isn't applauding them, saying, well done, you Christ followers. Actually, he's rebuking them as well. Why is he rebuking the Christ followers in this church? Actually, the, the um, commentary that I read essentially tries to look at what these folks are like in your church. It says these folks are the super spiritual guys. Okay, the guys who are saying, hold on, hold on a second, I have a direct line with God, you tell me what you want to hear, and I'll come back. These are the guys who, where Gnosticism, this special revelation, would have been easily sifted into the church. Do you know, there are things God's told me that you just don't know. Okay, and so these Christ followers would have been, we don't need human leadership, Christ is our leader. And we're not going to follow you guys because he is the one that's head of the church, which is true. But actually, even this group here created disunity. It created division. And Paul is essentially saying Christ is not divisive. He doesn't create division. So if your worship to Christ is creating a division in the church, there's something wrong. Even in that context where you feel like, hold on guys, we are in the group, the right group. He's saying, no, it's creating a division. Um, so these are the four groups that we have. And we get a little bit of insight into some of the theological issues that are going on in the church. As we look at verse 13, um, and we see baptism. Okay, so this is one issue that's going on as a conflict as to how people are, are arguing. Verse 13 to 17, the word is mentioned six times. Baptism is mentioned six times in these verses. And we start to understand as we read through that people are following the person that they were baptized by as opposed to who they were baptized into. Okay? And if I'm honest, as I talk about baptism... I'm, I'm so excited about Freedom Church having their first baptisms. I feel like we are on the verge of this. It's such an exciting time for us as a church. And back in our old church, when we had baptisms, we specifically didn't have leaders baptizing people in the church. Occasionally they did. But actually what we said to folk, look, who do you want to baptize you? Often they've come through friends. And there's this close relationship where they're like, look, we'd really love to have these guys baptize us. And one of the reasons for that 
is simply because what we don't want to do is we don't want to represent the baptizer to have this authority or um, this kudos that actually there's only certain people that can baptize and they're special. No, it's not about the person doing the baptizing, is it? It's about who you're baptized into, fundamentally. And so Paul is very clear here. He's talking, and he, he saw, it's a bit of a funny interaction, this one. You know, he talks about, I only baptize this person, and it's like he's, it's like he's sort of um, forgotten. Yeah, it shows a little bit of a human side of the Apostle Paul there, this super brain that we think he's so well thought out, and yet he's writing this letter, and sort of, and I baptize this person, and oh yeah, and I, and I only baptize this household as well, maybe, and I don't remember any others. There's something about him that's this real human side, but what he's saying is, just because I baptized you, you're not following me because I baptized you. And... Um, this is all about who we're baptized into, who we've given our life to in that. And I just want to, as a slight aside, say, if you haven't been baptized, okay, then I'd love you to come and speak to me after the service um, to talk about it and just talk about what it's about. Um, it's our obedience to God, okay? It's us declaring to other people our new life in Jesus Christ. And I'd love to talk to you about how we go about looking at getting you baptised. So, what about Freedom Church then? We've got to apply this passage, haven't we? Um, what are the dangers facing us as a church regarding disunity? Do you know, I want to say in today's society, we are very blessed with all the technology around us. We have a worldwide library on the web, don't we? And we can access the world's best preachers, the world's best, best authors. We can access amazing worship on the web at the touch of a button. And it's great, and it's a great resource to be used. And I want to encourage you to, to be learning from others. But I also want to say that if by listening to these guys who are preaching, if by reading all these books, what it's doing is actually creating division amongst us, over different issues, then there's something wrong. Okay? It's good to learn, it's good to listen, but when it's creating division, it's wrong. And you know, we're very blessed in this church to have many gifted leaders. And there are lots of um, different gifts that are around. You know, we could be looking at different leaders, we could be looking at Barry as he leads the big help. Barry and Ruth, as they have this amazing capacity um, to start social action and social enterprise and grow it into something great. We could be looking at Nick and his business and saying, wow, Nick, it's a great business. Keep going. Well done. Um, we could be looking at the different gifts where within, within the church, you know, the prophetic gifts, the uh, leadership gifts, the gifts of encouragement that are here. And we could all be very impressed by these gifts. And go, wow, I want to follow that. And for some of you this morning, when we talk about some of the gifts on a Sunday morning, some of you will prefer expository preaching. Some of you will prefer thematic preaching. Some of you will like long worship or short worship. 
And there are lots of different styles that we prefer. And it's good to have preferences. But I think when we're looking at preferences, when that preference becomes the holy stance of my preference is the right preference. My preference is the more spiritual one. I'm obviously more spiritual because I like the theological teaching. Because this is the right way to do it. Because actually we like systematic teaching. Or we like going through a book, that's the right way to do it. Or actually, you know, we love having this part of worship and, and this person falls asleep in worship. Therefore, you know, my way is definitely the way we need to be going. These are the sort of attitudes that get into the church and start to create division and disunity. And what we want to say as a church, God has made us all different. And it's okay to have preferences. And it's okay to culture them. And to stir yourself with some of those preferences. But when those preferences become prejudices, it's gone too far. And we must be so careful as we look at this letter not to elevate any leader in the church over any other person in the church. Can I repeat that? Let's not elevate any leader in the church over any other person in the church. Secondly, I think one of the big key things about disunity we could hit as a church, do you know we're blessed at the minute with young and old in our church. It's something we really prayed about for God to add this diversity. But we want to see rich and poor. We want to see black and white. We want to see educated and uneducated. We want to see not just white middle class, which if I'm honest, we are very white middle class church plant. But already, just with the diversity that we have in age, we have some things to watch out for. As I said, we have a natural inclination to converge with those like us. And one of the dangers that we face as a church, even at this small stage, is that we're tempted to gather into the groups that are most like us. We're tempted to gather with those that we get on with easiest. Because it's easy. And I want to encourage you to build strong friendships. So there's times for those. But actually... When it comes to seeing diversity flourish in the church, it actually means inviting people into those groups where it's not so comfortable, where it's not so easy, and making a specific effort to do that. If we want a diverse church, if we want a church where there is all sorts, then it's not just going to happen by itself. As I said, our natural inclination is to converge with those that we get on best with. And I want to encourage you to make an intentional effort as you invite people around. Don't keep meeting with the same group of people. Okay? And there is, a, there is a line here on how this works. It is about building deep friendships with those that you do connect with. But it's making sure, and I think just looking at some of the signs, what are some of the signs that actually were slipping into this trap? I think when you have a group of people that you meet with, if there's a 
if there's a, an anger or a disappointment that somebody else has been invited into the group, that's probably a good sign that you're falling into this trap of not wanting diversity. Okay? If there's a hold on, I just want us in our little group. We always have a good time together. We always connect together. If there's that, I think there could be some issues to look at with how you're gathering and who you're gathering. So I just want to encourage us as we go forward, this is all about unity, let's just be careful. Cliques within the church are spoken about so much because they're so easy to happen. And they happen before we even know it ourselves. Actually, we're relational beings. Okay? And we want to connect with people. But when it comes to cliques, we've just got to beware. So then we've discussed the issues regarding disunity in the church. I want to look at, really, what is it then, when we're looking at unity, what's going to make us united together? What are we going to unite around as a family, as a church? And we see it in verse 10. He talks about us gathering around the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about our unity coming through the gospel. Okay? The church unites around the gospel. And I just thought what would be helpful is to look at two phrases, unity being one, because that is what we're looking at becoming as a church and staying unified, and uniformity, okay, which is another term which is out there. So the definition of unity is when we are one, we have one mind, spirit, purpose, mission, and goal. Uniformity is when we all believe the same thing, practice the same thing, we're uniform in our beliefs and our behaviours. We are not looking for uniformity as a church. We celebrate diversity, we celebrate the fact that people are different, and we can have different opinions, okay? But we are looking to be unified with one mind, spirit, purpose, mission, and goal. And um, I think just a helpful way to look at, from a theological perspective, what unity and uniformity is and isn't. I remember Mark Driscoll talking about this, and he showed a map of the United States, looking at all the states, and he looked at fundamental theological issues and secondary issues. So, from a unity perspective, what do we want? We, or from a uniformity perspective, we want those foundational issues in place. So, these are things, theological truths, like Jesus is God. We can't compromise on that. He is God. He has died for us. Okay, he was crucified on the cross and he rose again. It's things like these. These are fundamental issues. And all of the all of the different states that Driscoll showed were all in the same country. And all of them would have believed these foundational points. And yet there are certain secondary issues like infant baptism, eldership, maybe predestination, you know, literal seven-day creationists, all those sorts of issues which are secondary issues. And the analogy was of the different churches that are around being the states. And you can cross state borders, and those issues can have different opinions. In fact, I want to say that within our church, we can have different opinions on these issues. Okay? That's, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. We can have different opinions on these secondary issues. 
Um, but if we, from a fundamental perspective, if we believe Jesus isn't Lord, we haven't just crossed a state boundary, we've crossed to another country. Okay? We're actually a foreigner. You are not a Christian. Because we've crossed that fundamental issue of theology. And um, I just wanted to look at those two things of what unity and uniformity is and isn't. We are not looking for everyone to do things the same way, everyone to have the exact same belief on everything. Okay? We're actually looking for unity coming through one mind, one mission, one purpose. Okay? And Paul helpfully moves on to look at three rhetorical questions that he asks, doesn't he? Uh, And it starts at verse 30, and he says, Is Christ divided? What do you think? No. He's not divided. And, um, I mean, I guess the issue here is saying, look, Christ, he doesn't... Do you suppose there are fragments of Christ that can be distributed into different parts of the church? And... um, If you have Christ, the issue is you have all of him. It's not part of him. He is there. He is one. He doesn't separate. You can't divide him. And we often use phrases, actually, I probably use it as well, we want more of Christ in our lives. And actually, as we look at this, we see that's the wrong phrase to be using. Okay? The right phrase we should be using is allowing Christ to have more of us. We want to allow Christ to have more of our lives. Not, I want more of Christ. He's one. He's whole. He's there. So is he divided? No, he's not. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Full stop. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. So we've got these three rhetorical questions where, honestly, the obvious answer is no. And it would be absolutely crazy to contemplate that there was another answer. Okay? It is... Outright, no. And verse 17 is this a bit of a climax in the passage. And it's extremely helpful in understanding this unity. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. As I've mentioned already, we are as a church united around the gospel of Christ. The good news and its proclamation. And that, Freedom Church, has got to be the thing that unites us. And it's very clear that if we manage to unite around the gospel and the proclamation of this good news, that we're going to be fruitful. I just want to mention, if you don't know what this good news is that we speak of today, if you're a guest, I just want to let you know that we as humans are all sinful. We've all missed the mark. We all disobey God. In fact, as Chris mentioned, we were enemies of his. And we were more sinful than we could have ever possibly imagined. So much so that God needed to punish us for this sin. And it separated us from him because he's holy and he's perfect and he can't stand sin. And so much so that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take on the punishment that we deserved. The wrath, the anger of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. The punishment 
And he was separated from the Father. And the other thing to remember is this. Even though we are more sinful than we can ever imagine, we are also more loved than we can ever, ever imagine. Even though we were his enemies, he sent his one and only son because he loved you. You know, this gospel, this good news of grace, God hasn't poured his anger out over us. He hasn't just shown us mercy by letting us off what we deserve. He's shown us amazing grace by making us sons and daughters of his, by giving us eternal life. And this gospel of grace makes us all equal. We've all sinned. We've all required Jesus to pay the cost of our punishments. And I want to say this, there's no leader, there's no worship leader or evangelist or author or business leader who is better than anybody else. The gospel of grace has made us all equal at the foot of the cross. And if you're not a Christian today and you're visiting us, I want to tell you that this is what unites us as a church. This is what makes us different. This isn't just about a social club that we're meeting together and singing some songs. Our unity, our diversity is united through this good news, this gospel news. And he moves on in verse 17 to look at the fact that we are united around the gospel and of mission. Okay? It says that he sent him. Paul talks about being sent. And you know, that, that word is to be missioned. Okay? God has sent you and me. He has put us on his mission. And so I want to ask, what is your mission? What's God given you as his mission this morning? And Paul says it, it is the proclamation of this good news. That is all of our mission. We unite around the fact that we are to proclaim the gospel in every aspect of our lives. We're to proclaim the gospel in the way that we behave, in the way we've been changed and transformed. We're to proclaim the gospel in our workplaces, in our families, to ourselves, of this good news that Christ has given us. In summary, I just want to touch again on some of the things. You know, we see many gifted people around us and we're tempted to be impressed. Maybe. With the gifts that even God has given us. They're not our gifts, they're actually God's gifts. And yet, people are not where our true allegiance should be. There is only one who is truly impressive. There is only one who will never let us down or fail us. There is only one who was crucified for you. There is only one whose, whose name you're baptized into. His name is Jesus. 
and for true unity to take place in Freedom Church, we need to fix our eyes on him and proclaim his good news to the nations. He is the one that unites us. He is the one that brings unity amongst division. His mission is our mission in heart, in mind, and in deed.